I think inventory creation in high demand areas in an affordable way is one of the best strategies that you can look for, not just in 2024, but in the next decade as all these Gen Zs uh, want to live in these highly desirable places. So, Welcome to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Hebercost, along with Mason McDonald. And we're going to discuss all things land, real estate, and business in general with all kinds of exceptional people. Let's get started. Welcome, everybody, to the Big Picture Blueprint. I'm your host, Dan Habercost, along with Mason McDonald. And today we're going to talk a little bit about how we're planning for the new year and, and what we're going to be focusing on in our business, given the current environment. Uh, but before diving into that, Mason, uh, how are things with you? Things are good. Uh, getting really excited for 2024 and all the opportunities that it's going to bring. And uh, 2023 was a good year, not a great year in business, but I think it's uh, primed this really, really well going into 2024 as we start to get into a normal uh, normal world and normal market uh, post-pandemic. So it'll be uh, fun to talk about. Agreed. Agreed. I... <laughs> I was doing some planning and, and updating my, my AR sheet because I'm always trying to plan best as I can. And I, much like you, have a ton of momentum coming into this year from last year. And it's always a challenge of you have to make assumptions about the future, right? You have to plan. I mean, am I going to send marketing? If I think the, the market's going to fall apart, I'm not going to keep uh, marketing the way that we do. Uh, so we're always making assumptions and predictions about the future, but you can't really know what's going to happen. I mean, if you ever do a post analysis of any of the big firms or anyone who tries to predict the future as far as economics, you'd know how ridiculous it is to try and with specificity say where the market's going. So how do you think about planning for a new year when future is totally unknowable? Yeah, I think the only way to do it is uh, base it on data, um, base it on the data of the years before, base it on years that are uh, more similar. 2024 is going to be a uh, very interesting election year. Uh, so you can look back at certain trends in 2020 and realize, okay, it's not a pandemic year yet. And uh, But I, I think basing it on data and um, really examining what worked and what didn't work, because you hit the nail on the head of you have to make assumptions going into uh, the future and what you're predicting whenever you're creating a pro forma or any sort of financial analysis for the future. That's what you do. You outline what your assumptions are first. And as a small business owner, to speak to the soft skills of it, uh, there's a big difference between assumption and expectation. And I think that when you make assumptions of, okay, this is the type of asset class we're going to target. This is what we're expecting to happen, or this is our assumption of what is going to happen, uh, you're going to be able to operate a lot more effectively than if you expect your future prediction to work, because then you start getting emotional and not uh, basing your date or your decision making on the data. But uh, what about you? Whenever you're looking to make predictions for the yeah, well, I just finished a book called Same as Ever. I, I know I recommended it to you, and I think that illustrates how I think about it because the whole idea of the book is amongst all of the constant change, and especially recently with the way technology accelerates change, what are the things that never, ever, ever change? And so in my business, I, I try and focus on that. So we'll get into that. Uh, but entry-level housing uh, for anything short-term is probably the biggest solution. Uh, and along with that, I also 
plan for a healthy margin of error, right? I mean, from a, a purely logical standpoint, right, based on opportunity costs, the amount of cash I have sitting in the bank at all times is kind of painful, right? It's just, it's, it's not doing anything. But knowing how many things could go horribly wrong from my plan based on number one, experience of, of my own, and then also just, you know, experience of, of friends that are older, older than mine and reading any sort of history, you know that whether it's, you know, old war or problems with an election or a pandemic or all of the many things that can go wrong out of nowhere, you have to have a healthy margin of safety. So that's one of the biggest things that I think about is just the admission that I don't know what's going to happen. I can make assumptions about things that never change and, and, and hope that I'm correct, but then just keep a lot of dry powder, so to speak. You got it. And I, I think uh, that's a great kind of starting point going into the new year and how I will be uh, adapting or uh, following good advice of my friends that are better and smarter than me going into 2024 is my plan in 2024 is to be much more liquid than I was in 2023. Uh, the cost of debt uh, has been going up steadily. Uh, and I think if you look at the cost of debt, whenever I bought the single family home that I'm living in and I have a less than 3% 30-year fixed mortgage, uh, it's not that way anymore. And so I was very debt heavy uh, in 2022 and 2023. And that is not a strategy that I am going to be employing in 2024. Uh, so more cash on hand is going to be absolutely critical. Uh, I think going into the new year with the uncertainty and I mean, just like you said, makes you feel better, uh, but cash is king. Uh, and we're not saying that um, in terms of, I don't know how you feel about it, Dan, but I don't feel like there is a recession coming. I think a lot of the predictions going into the new year don't indicate that a recession is coming anymore, uh, which is why you can't just listen to the fear and doom that uh, new the news is always... Uh, reporting on to get more clicks. Sure. I well, honestly, I don't even think that's the right question. That that would be my honest response. I hear this endlessly debated and what is pertinent to what you and I do is what is happening it happening in that specific niche of residential real estate in the parts of the country where we are operating. And so good uh, uh transition here to what are the assumptions we're both making and I I can kind of start. Uh I expect that the southeast so the Carolinas and Florida are the parts of the Southeast I'm doing business, but of course that would encompass Georgia uh, as well and Tennessee, I think are going to continue to grow rapidly. And I, I expect that because as you mentioned data, people are moving there in droves. You know, my parents just retired to South Carolina and I, I believe South Carolina is now the state that's, that's growing the most. I, I think it's even above Florida now, but th those states... Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, Tennessee, Georgia are booming. And unless something crazy happens, that's not going to stop. Other people in my parents' generation, other people with a lot of money that want uh, a tax shelter are, are going to head down there where it's more friendly uh, from a tax perspective, where it's warmer. Uh, and I don't think that's going to stop. So I fully expect prices to continue to go up and uh, business to be good. So that's one of the major assumptions I'm making going into this year. Yeah. I, I, I want to follow you with that. And uh, because what, what you're talking about, whenever you're looking at migration patterns and what to expect, uh, you have to look at what's going on with the population. And boomers are retiring. Your parents are retiring. Uh, my parents are retiring, although they moved uh, from the South to the mountains, which is a little bit different. But uh, you, so I'm, I'm looking right now at some of the top 2024 20, 
markets to watch in real estate coming from PwC, and you're seeing uh, cities in Tennessee, uh, North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, um, but you're also seeing and uh, Texas. Obviously, Texas is always going to be one of the best places uh, that people do business and move. Uh, but you're seeing a lot of action going on in Arizona and Southern California, Seattle, and uh, Connecticut. And I have to assume that in reverse of the boomers, Gen Z is starting to be able to afford homes and Gen Z is starting to go mobile. They've been locked up in a pandemic. They've been going to school all over the world or all over the country, and they are ready to move to new cities. So I think uh, that is a trend that I'm looking for where just like you said at the beginning, is affordable housing. And that's what I saw in 2023. That's what you saw in 2023 and all of history before. Affordable housing and entry-level housing is one of the greatest places to be. So even though you're going into the Southeast where affordable housing is still very, very important, you're going to have a lot of opportunities going into the places where people want to live. You're going to San Diego all the time, and it's because it's beautiful out there. Scottsdale is one of the best bachelor and bachelorette party places in the country. Seattle's so much fun to go to. So tracking Gen Z's movements and being able to assume that as Gen Z gets older, affordable housing is going to be a need for them. And going into these more urban markets uh, is one of my predictions of uh, ways you can be very successful in 2024. I want to follow that with just the point that affordable is very relative. So one of the guys that I helped get his business started, he is from California and he has stuck with California and he's doing business in the places that people are moving within the state that are relatively speaking still very affordable. They're not compared to most of the country, but for people who want to be there, they are are very affordable. And so that's a great point. You know, if you're in downtown Seattle, some of those suburbs where houses are half a million dollars might be the affordable place to go. So that's a very, very relative point, And it's all right, just, just in relation to the surroundings. So I, I'm glad you brought that up. <clears throat> Absolutely. And I, I kind of want to, as, as a corollary to that, um, within those markets that we're talking about, Seattle, uh, San Diego, uh, Phoenix, and uh, di- different areas in Texas, I mean, Austin and San Antonio. San Antonio has been growing like crazy. But going into Seattle, which I think is a really great example, if you talk about Kirkland, Washington, if you're not from the PNW or not familiar with the area, Kirkland is one of the most expensive places to live in the world. I say wearing Kirkland clothing from Costco. Um, but where you're going to run into challenges is the actual amount of inventory that's available in these highly desirable places. If you watch the news, you're like, no one wants to live in California or Portland or Seattle or these uh, liberal strongholds. And the the problem with that is Look how many millions and millions and millions of people are living there. And look at what the zoning changes that are occurring are, mm-hmm. are, are going on. And there's a lot of laws that are going on, uh, especially in, I mean, in Colorado, for instance, where you're able to start getting ADUs on your property or additional dwelling units. And I think inventory creation in high demand areas in an affordable way is one of the best strategies that you can look for not just in 2024, but in the next decade as all these Gen Zs uh, want to live in these highly desirable places. So I think inventory creation is another point that I I think you and I should spend some time on. Yeah, absolutely. So you summed it up very well there. Uh, I, I, you know, we both are just doing the simple buying and selling of land uh, in these places, but that is 
part of inventory creation because we're selling it to the builders that don't know how to go get the lots themselves. And then they are going to put the new house or duplex or whatever it might be on that property. But even beyond that, uh, with the new construction that I'm doing, uh, I have always stuck to entry level, three bed, two bath, 14 to 1500 square foot, right? As, as entry level as it gets, both the retiring, downsizing baby boomer and the first time millennial or even Gen Z now, uh, home buyer would be the buyer for that. In the markets where I'm doing it, it's between 350 and 400. And in Colorado for new construction, that is very entry level. Uh, and, and, and that has worked very well for me. And I, I plan to continue uh, staying with that niche. I'm certainly not uh, going to go any bigger or any more expensive. Yeah. And I, I think that right there, uh, no matter the time period, that's a recession-proof strategy where uh, in the worst case scenario, if there is a recession, that house is in such high demand because people would prefer to rent at the new home. People would prefer to buy the new home instead of the equally uh, priced 1970s home um, or 1980s home that uh, that's available whenever you're um, in that in in that price point. And I do think that uh, with inventory creation, the opportunity for subdivision still I think is one of be going to be one of the best things where uh, there are tracts of land and parcels of land that if you go back and look at the history of the land uh, that you're targeting, it might have been, that parcel might have been created 70 years ago or 100 years ago or 60 years ago. And the demands of the current economy have changed where while there there has been a lot of news about uh, desiring the larger property and wanting to the suburban flight and going into a more rural community and getting acreage, uh, people usually can't afford those giant parcels. So I think inventory creation through subdivision uh, on the outskirts of these market where you're talking about um, in California, where you're finding the affordable uh, neighborhoods where people are leaving downtown San Diego and going out into some of the surrounding areas. If you can find big pieces of land that create an opportunity for affordable housing out there, uh, I think that's another. Yeah. I was just talking to one of the reps at DR Horton, one of the land acquisition reps, and they in Florida are certainly still still looking for big pieces they can split up and build on. And uh, yeah, to, to that point, across the board, focusing on the creation of whatever is most in demand in that market. And so, you know, an easy example with a couple of the markets where I'm simply buying and selling land, duplex lots are highly desirable. And if you just go on, on Zillow and look at uh, for sale versus sold, the markets don't look that good. But if you dive into it, you realize, oh, duplex lots specifically, those disappear immediately or slightly oversized lots. They go immediately, right? And so digging into your markets and figuring out what product is in high, high demand uh, and focusing on that can set you ahead of everyone else who d doesn't know that. Uh, and another example of this, Mason, is right now where I, I'm in Pueblo West, I just bought a rental property that is three bed, two bath, each side, it's duplex. And uh, the significance of that is amongst the endless uh, multifamily units that are going up in Colorado, up the front range, they're all small. They're small apartments. This, what I bought, is much like two houses. And it's a different demographic who rents it, people who, who have kids, a family, and they need a house. And in effect, it's two houses. And, and the duplexes I'm building down there, just to keep, are the same, the three bed, two and a half bath, large on each side. So it is 
the product that is very needed and in demand in that market uh, and sets my, me apart from the endless crappy small units that are available. Oh, yeah. You're commenting on one of the very specific markets that you're in, but that's a nationwide trend of what's going on right now, where 2023, the amount of multifamily units that have been getting constructed, and I mean, just in Colorado Springs, they're putting, what, 14,000 apartments? I heard for El Paso County, 20,000 apartment units. 20,000 for the whole county in El Paso County, Colorado, where we're having population growth and we have housing issues just like everyone else. But I think multifamily housing is not where I would want to be because it's fun to live in an apartment when you're 22 and you've got a roommate and you guys are splitting it for 1200 a piece as versus getting a three or four bedroom house where everyone can pay 500 bucks a month and you have a yard and you can have a dog or you can have a family. And I think that that trend is just going to continue. Uh, population, the population is declining. Uh, as everyone keeps getting older, what they want more and more often is more space. So I think the duplex idea is fantastic. And then look at also the uh, the changes that occurred in November of 2023, uh, where uh, if you can now, for small multifamily homes, use a conventional loan, Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, for uh, as low as 5% down on a four-unit house if you're an owner-occupied. So you've house hacked before. I have not house hacked before, but the idea of being able to buy or build a new small multifamily home and live in one unit and rent out the other three units, not just rooms, I think, I think is going to be a more commonplace strategy uh, throughout the country now um, with, with these laws. Yeah, absolutely. I've, uh, I've just anecdotally run into far more retail buyers doing that where they don't have a term for it. They're not listening to bigger pockets, but they they still are going to go buy the duplex, live in one side or out the other, just so they can afford housing. And that change uh, in the lending laws will just further accelerate that. So agreed, agreed. St- sticking, again, it's still entry-level housing, even though it's a duplex, but it's the type of housing that people want as opposed to the tight, tiny little apartment units. Because from my experience, guys, it's been now six years since I bought my first rental property. Uh, the smaller units, you know, those two ones, they tend to have far more turnover. I have had far uh, a much harder time keeping people in those units, whereas the nice houses and or larger apartment units, I, I mean, you can keep people there for four, five, six, seven plus years, much easier. Absolutely. So what else uh, going into 2024, uh, whether it's macro trend, micro trend, what you're doing in your own business, what are you predicting? What are you, how are you strategizing? Yeah, well, we hit on it a little bit, but I am far more cautious. I, I don't have any leads for large apartments, but if I did anything, not even large apartments, apartments with small units, like we were just talking about here in Colorado Springs, anywhere between here and basically Wyoming going north up the highway, I would be very uh, pessimistic in my, in my, uh, uh, pro forma, and I would expect to have to hold it for a very long time, right? I would not buy anything, uh, multi, small multifamily uh, here with any sort of short-term strategy. And uh, yeah, because I just, it's it's going to be bad. The amount of giant buildings going up is, is kind of crazy. Oh yeah. One, just like we said of, would you rather go buy or rent from the 
the new build, uh, three bed, two bath, two car garage, 1500 square foot home, or the 1970s one, same thing with uh, multifamily. Now location will obviously add a big difference to it, but all of these apartment buildings are going up in the, the middle of cities. There's tons of assemblages going on where they're combining a lot of old, old commercial properties and building high rises. And, uh, I agree with you of, uh, the smaller unit, older multifamily properties is kind of a place that I would be interested in staying away from, um, at least in our local market. I, I do want to add to that. You mentioned location and in the long run, right? This always happens. It, it's it's speaking to that book I read, Same as Ever, where it talks about things that never change. And those things tend to be uh, pertaining to human nature because we certainly haven't changed over the millennia. And so everything swings too far one way to the other, right? The, the market goes from, from uh, excitement, you know, optimism to extreme pessimism. And so with what's happening with multifamily, there was a huge shortage. So of course, now it's swung to the other side where there's going to be an overabundance of units. But if, regarding what you said on location, if an opportunity were to come up here in Colorado Springs, which I live and know very well, uh, for a small multifamily unit or a multifamily building with small units is what I mean. Uh, I would still buy it. I would just structure it where I don't need it to make me money for a long time. Because if it's in a prime location, I know in the long run, Colorado Springs is booming. And Space Force is for sure going to be headquartered here. There's all kinds of jobs. I'm still bullish on this market over the course of five, 10 years. I think there's just going to be short-term pain. And so I would still take on that sort of opportunity. I would just, I wouldn't try to flip it. I wouldn't try and, and, and you know, plan to refi in a year or exit the year. I would buy it very conservatively with uh, a, a small debt position relative to what the norm has been and have a lot of reserves and not plan to take any money out of it for a long time. Absolutely. And that goes all into the assumptions of your pro forma, where I think over the past few years, if you look at how aggressive rent increases, rent increases have been, you're not going to be expecting that over the next few years, most likely. Inflation has been high and has been relatively high for several years now. Rent uh, increases have been going crazy. And I think what we're going to start seeing in 2024 is a little a continuation of 2023, which is more of a correction. Uh, it has been a seller's market. Uh, despite higher interest rates, it has maintained being a seller's market over the, throughout 2023 for the most part, uh, depending on which market you're in. And I think with that correction and with uh, a slowing of rent growth, you can't go in assuming that next year you're going to be able to bump rent up another 10% because over the past four years, rent has gone up 40% uh, for that same unit. So I think being very, very conservative and if you're buying it for tax purposes, if you're buying it in a great location that there cannot be create new inventory created, uh, you're going to have a great, great long-term investment. Uh, but don't expect this cash cow to come out the gates right now. Yeah, I'm I'm actually performing uh, lower rents on the duplexes I'm building than what they would rent at or have rented at. Because these exact buildings, a couple of them have been built. I know what they rent at. I'm going to assume these are going to rent lower. Yep, exactly. And I think that's what 2024 will, will bring uh, for the most part is kind of a year of correction. Not aggressive correction um, in certain markets, but I do think just in general. Um, it's going to normalize, not into a buyer's market, but into a more neutral uh, 
seller, buyer market, whatever you want to call it. No, I, and I think that's a good thing. This has been totally unsustainable. I do not want rents to continually go up astronomically or the prices of housing. That's ridiculous. It needs to be uh, reachable for the masses. And uh, from a, a slightly more selfish reasoning here, that will continually attract the attention of regulators. And I would much rather it not go up aggressively than have the government sticking their hands into uh, housing because we don't need to go down that rabbit hole, but I think we all know what I'm saying. But were you going to say something, Mason? No, no, I just agree with you of the the less regulation, um, the better uh, to a certain extent. That's not me advocating for slumlords or anything like that, nor is Dan advocating for that. It's just more uh, once the government gets involved, everything takes longer and it doesn't allow the good small business person to make effective uh, moves for the economy. There's a reason why the term government housing has a very specific meaning. We'll leave it at that. Uh, so I, I did want to expand a little bit, Mason, on, on going back to the areas that are growing and and just the simple land flipping. Because guys, there's there's two buckets that I think about. There's the buy and hold where I am looking at a multi-decade time horizon. And then there's the arbitrage where I'm just trying to generate cash to then go buy the buy and hold. And so speaking to the arbitrage, there are places where I'm betting on increases. And these are places in the Southeast where I'm thinking of a couple specific markets where new construction homes are selling in the two, where lots were 20 to 30-ish for a shovel-ready infill lot. And these are near metros where prices are two or three times higher, you know, 20 minutes away. And so I am watching this, and this is not the first time I've seen this in Colorado from 2020 fall to the beginning of 2021, I watched land prices triple in Pueblo West. Not exaggerating, not in the slightest. They went from between 12 and 15 to between 30 to 40. And I'm seeing the same thing happen in several of my favorite markets down in Florida that fit everything I just described as far as price point, as far as proximity to a more expensive, popular metro. And so those markets, I am betting on price increases and I'm already watching it happen. And so I I do not expect that to slow down in those ultra affordable places, huge amounts of population. And Dan, what did you do three months ago that you were excited about with your business with going into those markets? Uh, just sent an enormous amount of mailers and, and cold calls. Is that what you're talking about? Just to marketing? That one, and, and that's exactly that's exactly what I'm talking about. Yep. It is whenever you start seeing these trends, I, I can't even tell you how many famous investors are out there of once it's popular, it's too late. Yes. And that is why it's important to be consistent in the markets that you see that are producing for you um, that are tracking these economic trends to a certain degree of affordable housing of uh, man and consistently doing it because you're not going to realize those gains for three, six, nine, 12, or 24 months where yeah. you've been in certain areas of in, in Florida for years now. Yeah. And uh, they've been great for you. But man, if you're the expert or the authority on it, all the work that you've been doing over the past few years in those markets are going to make it so where, oh, well, all the other investors out there that are used to paying twelve thousand for a lot and then flipping it for twenty, I'm going to go bait, pay twenty for it because I know it's worth thirty now or forty now or fifty now. And yeah, uh, I think that's something just more soft skill, more business related that you need to be doing of just maintaining consistency and recognizing that uh, once we see it, um, you're already behind uh, if you haven't gotten started yet. 
Yeah, I even I have a realtor in Florida who has hundreds of land listings all over the state. And so he tends to be the authority. I come to him for advice all the time. But in a couple of these markets that I know really, really well, I had to kind of clue him into what was going on. I'm just watching the inventory just disappear and prices go up. I mean, from October to now, there used to be yeah, a bunch of these these duplex lots in the 40s. I think when I looked last week, there was one under 70. And that right there of Florida, the seasonality is a lot different. Yes. Right? Where winter is more like summer in Colorado, where summer is super hot in Colorado. Uh, in Florida, it's the opposite where Man, if you hadn't been sending mail and focusing on your lead measures and uh, tactical strategies back in summer of last year, whenever business might have slowed down for you, uh, you wouldn't have been getting those deals out there that are looking really, really, really good now. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I, 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 do you have anything you want to say on that, on any of the markets you're in or anything you're seeing in your own business? Yeah, I think, um, and, and this is more about what to stay away from is in going into 2024 and what I had a ton of success in 2022 and not very much success in 2023. And that's the, uh, the luxury secondary home market. Um, I made a fortune in 2022 in luxury secondary home markets where I was buying lots and selling it for three to four times as much, uh, the next day, um, in beautiful mountain towns in Colorado. And I did not have that same amount of success in 2023 going into 2024. So I'm cautiously optimistic about it because I have to be because I own a bunch of land in these markets. Uh, but in terms of 2024, um, I would, for the most part, stay away from those the secondary home markets. And what I mean by that is Dan and I live in Colorado Springs. Colorado Springs is a great place where tons of young people are moving. Um, I've got land in Winter Park. I've got land in mountain communities throughout the uh, Front Range all the way into Western Colorado. And that land is not as desirable right now because there is an affordability crisis where uh, whenever you are looking at any sort of asset class, what you want to be seeking out, depending on your business model, depending on your debt and equity structuring, and depending on your risk tolerance, uh, they're going to be great, great returns in the long term. Um, so that's why you need to uh, maintain faith that there are plenty of rich people out there. Uh, but I think in general, if you're attempting to grow a business rapidly, uh, stay away from those markets uh, right now, um, and especially whenever it's a year of uncertainty with an election year going on. Um, if, uh, depending on the state that you're in, um, if the election goes the way that state wants, uh, the luxury markets will be more exciting again. Um, but that's a piece of advice that I've learned that has not harmed me, but stressed me out over the past uh, 16 months or so. Sure. Yeah. Just to comment on that, some of the success, successful second home markets flips that I've done, I had to be substantially under what everyone else was listed. I, I sold one in Buena Vista in a really nice uh, mountain community here, here in Colorado, for anyone who doesn't know where that is, middle of the state, up against the uh, Sawatch Range. And Comps were in the 200s, but to get that thing moved, we listed, I want to say like 179 or 189 and, and then selling it at 175, something, something like that. And we were substantially lower than every other lot on the market because those had been sitting a long, long time. And that's what's so funny about uh, land and um, the idea of the book that that you're talking about of some things never change. Um uh, you would expect land to be a little less emotional 
and you would expect there to be uh, people that come in and if you listed that property at 204,000 and someone drove by and they were like, I love this lot. It's just priced too high to just put a freaking offer in at 175,000 or whatever they think they could. But that doesn't happen where there are times where you can make a uh, 2% or 3% reduction in price yes. on a on a land listing and people will buy it. It's the same thing with the emotional uh, home buyer where they go in and the price the price is perfect, the location is perfect, but it has formica instead of granite. And um, even though the house next door has granite countertops and is priced $50,000 higher, people will pick the $50,000 high, higher price because emotion gets in the way of decision making. So that does happen with land and um, effective pricing strategy. And just like Dan said, uh, um, if you can price lower than what everyone else is at, a lot of times that's going to generate a lot of interest right at the beginning. And if you can get it right at the beginning, um, uh, you're going to have a greater likelihood of selling it for the most part, because whenever you see a lot that's been sitting on the market for 500 days, that's priced $20,000 higher, uh, your emotional brain is going to say, what is wrong with that land as versus this brand new listing that just came on the market. Yeah. I have to pull out something you said there too, because I've seen this so many times. Most retail consumers will never make an offer substantially below ask. I learned this early on. There was uh, a GC I was working with for new builds and one of his clients was just looking for a lot. And so I was at this point, I was dispoing myself. This was in the first, I don't know, a couple dozen deals. And I remember I sent her, I was communicating with her myself directly, sent her one of my listings for a lot that fit everything she wanted. And, and I didn't get a response. And I was so surprised. I thought for sure. I mean, it was exactly what she wanted. I think I had it listed at 40. And follow up with her a few weeks later and, oh, well, it's too high. We, we can't pay 40. Well, make me an offer. And I actually said that to her. And she's like, oh, well, we could pay 35. Okay, deal. But it never occurred to her to even ask, well, could I buy it at 35? And now look, all consumers are not this naive, but a lot of them are. And a lot of them would not dare to offend someone or make a substantially lower offer. So guys... Don't think with your investor brain when you're selling to uh, retail consumers, a lot of times, like Mason said, just dropping the price a little bit will suddenly get you a bunch of offers. So I'm glad you brought that up, Mason. One, it's the, some things will never change of, uh, to add another story to it. I was with a friend last night and he was talking about a coworker that has been at the same organization as him for 15 years and has never asked for a raise. And he's been there one year and asked for a raise and got a 10% raise. and Whenever he was at the board meeting, because uh, he's in a leadership position, he was asking, well, why, why haven't we given her a raise? And they're like, well, she hasn't asked for one. And she's been there for 15 years. 15 years puts that at, I don't know, uh, 2009. And wages were a lot different in 2009 for uh, the, the category of person that I'm talking about here. Uh, and I think that right there exemplifies the behavior that we're talking about, where when you are working with the retail typical person, especially whenever it's the, the older Gen X or the boomer, uh, they don't want to offend you. And instead of where you're like, I don't care, I paid 12 grand for that lot. The $5,000 difference isn't that big of a difference to me. Um, that's a huge difference uh, to them. And especially whenever you're working with big round numbers like that. So I think... Yep. Uh, 
being able to work with an effective realtor and in being able to really understand pricing strategy uh, yes. beyond what's actually selling and what's actually moving, but the strategy associated with it uh, is going to give you a lot of success because the quicker you can get things moved, the better uh, in general. Yeah, no, agreed. That's an important point. Um, well, Mason, looking back at everything we went through, I think that on my end, the simple synopsis would be that I'm I'm betting the Southeast is going to continue to grow rapidly and I'm going to keep sticking to the really affordable markets that are outside of the, the booming metros that have gotten expensive. And then uh, that's for the short-term arbitrage business where I'm making money, just land flipping and or new construction. And then for the, the long-term side of my business, I'm sticking to Colorado where I know it really well. I'm, I'm not budgeting for rent increases. I'm budgeting for rent decreases. In fact, I'm sticking to the, the product that's not being built nonstop, that's less available. And again, affordable entry-level sort of units and housing. And, and so I fully expect that, you know, same as ever, those niches will continue to grow. Um, anything you want to add or, or summarize? Right on, right on of uh, stick to what the data is suggesting. Affordability, where people are moving, uh, both the boomers and the Gen Z. Uh, look at inventory creation opportunities, whether it's new construction or subdivision or adding units on. And I think you're going to be poised for success, not just in 2024, uh, but going into the next few years. Um, I'd stay away from luxury, uh, but yeah, affordability and inventory creation. And that's what we are advocating here on the Big Picture Blueprint. Uh, this is Mason McDonald and Dan Habercost signing off. And that's it for today's episode of the Big Picture Blueprint. If you found it helpful, please share it with your friends or anyone you think that it could benefit. Don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating, and we'll see you in the next episode.